Let's pray. Father, as we gather today, we, we remind ourselves to take refuge in you. and we, we remind ourselves this morning that you are a mighty fortress and a safe place for us to rest our souls. And so we pray that today would be a day we do that, that Sunday would not just be another day, that our gathering would not just be another Sunday, but that it would be a time for us to find rest from all of the work of the week, all of the worries that come in, all of the challenges that we face, all of the grief that that might speak to our hearts. We pray that today would be a day where we together call ourselves back to resting in God, to finding a safe place with you. God, we pray for those in our church who need a safe place to rest their hearts and their worries. God, we pray for those who are sick in our church and can't be with us like Roger, like Dave. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with them in this time. I'm reminded that physical challenges can become spiritual challenges for our hearts. And so as they both juggle and face physical illness and the others in our church face physical illness, some that we know about, some that we don't know about, God, we pray that you would be a safe place for their hearts while their bodies fight and struggle. God, we pray for those who have secret struggles here today. Secret struggles with shame and with guilt. We pray, I pray for for those today that they would know that you are both a powerful and a merciful God. That we as a church would be a place where those who know they are guilty can find forgiveness and can find hope and can find strength for new days. God, we pr- I pray for those that are dealing with financial worries and challenges. Their job is up in the air. Paying the bills that come in are so uncertain. God, I pray that we would, that today would be a time for us to cast all of our cares on you because we know that you care for us. God, I, I thank you that we can be reminded today that you are both powerful and merciful. That you are not just a, far, a God who is far off in charge of the universe, but doesn't care about us. And you're not just a compassionate, tender-hearted grandfather who can't do anything about the challenges that we face. But your word joins those two truths together. It says that you are both powerful and merciful, that the king of all the earth bends his ear to hear our prayers and uses his hands for our good. I pray that today we would worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray We pray for our sister churches in the area. I pray specifically for the church down in Whitehall that's now looking for a new pastor. I pray, Lord, that you would send a godly pastor who would preach your word clearly, and Lord, that you would send workers to the harvest to all of the churches in our area that don't have a pastor and are looking. We pray, Lord, that you would do in our community what you've done before. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you need wisdom? What is that decision that right now you're trying to figure out? What do I do? Do It could be, do I accept this job? Do I move to this place? Do I change my house? It could be, what do I do with this relationship? I, I need to have some boundaries in this relationship. I need to know what do I say? How do I navigate this? How, what is that area where you're trying to figure out care for a loved one? All of us 
in this room probably have some areas that we need wisdom today. But some of the time, we end up stuck in a place where we are waiting on wisdom. And the, today what I wonder is not just where do you need wisdom, but what do you tend to do when you're waiting for wisdom? When you're trying to figure out how to care for a loved one, when you're trying to figure out is this the right time to retire or to move or to change jobs, when you're trying to figure out how to restore that relationship or cut off that relationship or figure out what to do, what do you tend to do when you're waiting? Some, some of us try to hit it head on because we try to, we try to do things. I'm going to work my way out of this. Some of us tend to like shove it to the side and just, well, I'm going to act like I don't have to make this decision. And then some of us throw ourselves into other things, trying to stay busy, trying to outrun it, or trying to strategize our way through that situation. Today we're looking at a passage of Scripture where Abraham is waiting on what God is up to. He's waiting for God to reveal, this is what I'm going to do with your life, Abraham. And so, today, you and I find ourselves in the same place that Abraham finds himself in Genesis chapter 13. So, go ahead and turn there with me. Where Abraham, God has promised. Last week, we saw that God even preserved Abraham and preserved Sarah for his promise. Well, now we get to Genesis chapter 13, where Abraham is waiting for God's purpose, waiting to see what God would have him do. Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Verse 5, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Let's pray. God, as we open your word here, I pray that you would give us great wisdom. And I pray that you would help us to know what you would have us to do while we, like Abraham, are waiting for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at this point, Abram had made some, a bad decision in deceiving Pharaoh because he thought that the promise of God was for him only, but that God, he forgot that God would fulfill his promise. And so he tries to protect himself and ends up putting his wife at risk, possibly because he didn't think that the promise was for Sarah too. 
Sarah doesn't have to be protected if the promise isn't for her. Abram can have a different wife, but God reveals, no, thank you, Harriet. (laughs) I'm getting older, and I was like, this is kind of dim here. Um, Do I not see this right? Maybe it's just my eyes. Abram puts his wife at risk because he thinks the promise is just for him and that God is too weak to save him and forgets that God is going to keep his promise. And so God protects and preserves Sarah, showing Abram, one, I can deliver you in Egypt, and this promise is for Sarah and for you. And so we get to this point, so now Abram heads back. Negev is a word that means the south. It just means the southern part of Israel. And so if you, can, if you know what the map looks like, then it's just the southern part of it. And so Abram kind of walks from Egypt up into the Negev and then goes up into the heart of the land that God has promised to give to him where he worships. And he runs into a problem. You and I have run into problems, and it Look, usually looks like we've run out of money to pay the bills. It usually looks like we don't know what the future looks like. Abram's problem is he's prospering so much that he and his nephew, Lot, can't even live near each other because they're going to wipe out the land. The, Abram's problem is that God has blessed him so much and blessed his household so much that, he ha- that the house has to be divided. And we have to remember in this that Genesis 11 shows us Lot is Abram's nephew. Abram has no children, so, it would, so Lot would be the one that inherits everything that Abram has. And so there's a sense in which the promise of God looks like it could flow through Lot, except here we go, wait, Abram is so rich, and his nephew Lot is so rich, his heir is so rich, that will they be divided from each other? Are they going to be able to like continue together? Which really kind of raises the question for us, is Lot going to be the heir? How is the promise going to come about? We see kind of the scene two where Abram has said, Lot, we're going to have to separate. This becomes this, oh, so if they separate, then this is not the child of the promise. Lot isn't the child of the promise. And so are they going to be divided? Verse 10 says, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zohar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So this is how this is kind of the answer to our question. Are they going to be divided? Is Lot going to be the heir? No, they're going to be divided and Lot is not going to be the heir. And so now Abram is somewhere around 80 to 85 years old and his heir has left. His nephew has left. The the promise that God has given him to him and to Sarah, how is it going to be fulfilled? But I want you to notice that Lot looks out and makes the decision that all of us would make. Lot looks out. When I was a kid, I remember this story was told to me as in it was very obvious. There's like almost like there's a sign that says, don't go here. And Lot goes, hey, that's the land that I want. It seems that he looks out and goes, that's good farmland. That's the place I would love to have my family live. He looks out to the east and says, that is going to be my place. And so... Lot 
is divided from Abram, showing us, okay, this is not the child of the promise. God is going to have to keep his promise a different way. And then we go, but then what goes with Abram? Lot gets the good land. He gets the good farmland. He gets everything lined up. And verse 14 tells us then what God does with Abram. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees at Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Lot has picked the best of the land. And then the Lord says, Abram, I'm going to give you that land and everything else here. This is not Lot getting the good stuff and Abram getting what's left over. God is clarifying his purpose for Abram by dividing Lot, but, in, but showing him the promise is far bigger, Abram, than you can imagine. Sure, Lot is not the child of the promise. Lot is not going to be the one that I keep my promises to you through him. I'm going to keep it to you, and I'm going to keep it to Sarah, and it's not going to be through what you can see, the nephew that you have been raising. It is going to have to be through something you cannot see, Abram. And then God said, I think this promise grows because he says, I'm giving you Lot's land too. The east and the west, the north and the south. I think God is clarifying his promise and his purpose for Abram. Not because of what Abram can see, but because what God can see and what God has planned. God has already clarified, Abram, you will be a great nation and it's going to be through Sarah that I'm going to do it because I'm going to protect her and preserve her in Egypt. And now he says, Abram, it's not the, the land that you can see and it's not the nephew that you can see that I'm going to do this through. And so God is calling Abram to continue to walk in his purpose and in his promise. While he, but he's still waiting for it. He's calling to, to Abram and clarifying to him his purpose. And his one command here is to walk. Abram, walk. Go and see everything that I'm going to give you. What I want to show you here from these, these verses is I want to show you these three steps while we wait on God's purpose. All of us today have our own worries. We have our own anxieties. We have our own, God, I need wisdom. This passage here in, in Abram's life gives us three steps while we wait on God's purpose. As God is clarifying his purpose to Abram, this is what I think he has to say to us. First, resist trusting your eyes, your efforts, and your plans. Resist trusting your eyes, your efforts, and your plans. You see, I think Lot is the image of what God is calling Abram not to do. Lot's life is based off of this is what looks good. I'm going to trust that. This is, and Lot has, hey, look, I've got to decide, well, why don't I pick the good place to raise my family? Why don't I look for the good place to raise my herds? God has blessed me. I'm going to trust that he's going to bless me there too. In the same way, Abram is tempted to trust in what he can see by holding on to Lot, by holding on to his nephew, by holding on to the one family he has left that could carry on the line. There is no indication in this, in Abram's life yet, that Abram and Sarah would have a baby, just that they would have generations and a family after them. Abram has no idea that God could open up a barren womb 
And so Lot is tempted by what he can see. And Abram is tempted by what he can see. And God, in Lot's life, is going to use that and show that this, is a, this has been greatly damaging to Lot's family. I think we should give Lot a little bit of grace because the Bible later says that he was a righteous man whose soul was tortured by living in Sodom. But Lot's life was spent like, hey, this is what looks good. And up to this point, Abram is tempted to trust in what he can touch, what he can, what he can strategize. And Abram's going to get in trouble with this later. There's going to be times where Abram and Sarah try to help God out by, by making a plan to keep the promise. But here, we're called to resist trusting what our eyes, our efforts, and our plans can make happen. You see, when Abram is stripped from his nephew, and then God says, but I'll give you your nephew's land, and I'll give you the north, and I'll give you the south, and I'll give you the east. Abram, uh, my promise is not in what you can touch, not in what you can plan for, not in what you can do. This is a call to you and I, is to not trust what we can touch. When, we were, when we're looking for wisdom. God, I need wisdom on how to raise my kids. Maybe you have uh, something going on at home and you go, God, I don't know how to deal with him or her. Maybe it's your spouse and you go, God, I do not know how to get out of this. The temptation that we have is to trust in a strategy that we can make and touch and hold for ourselves. The, the temptation is for us to trust in what we can plan on or what we can do. And this, here in Abram's life, we are called to resist trusting our eyes, our efforts, and our plans. Because the Lord is the one who has been protecting and preserving and promising. And he's still the same God today for us. And so as we wait on wisdom, it's, we're called to resist that. That's the, the image that we have throughout the Bible. I, am, I remember when Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they come and they're face to face with the Red Sea, and they have the great Egyptian army behind them, and they're saying, why did you bring us out here to die? Abraham says, all you have to do is stand still. The Lord will fight for you. There is nothing they can touch. That's not a, a, that's not a strategy of, oh, here's what I can do. Moses says, stand still, the Lord will fight for you. I think we see that in this passage. That Abraham is simply called to walk and to wait and to not trust in a nephew that he can touch. To not trust in a strategy that he can... And so you and I are called to do the hard work of saying, God, while I wait, I'm not going to trust that I can plan my way out of this. God, while I wait... I know I can't work my way out of this. The life of faith is a life of faith. And so I'm going to resist trusting that I can help you out. And I can make your plans happen in my time. Second step while we wait for God's purpose in this passage is to wait. Actually wait. You see, Abram has one command here in verse 17. God has been promising, and his group promises have been growing. And then in verse 17, God says, Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. God doesn't say, Abram, here is what I want you to do. God says, Abram, I want you to walk, and I want you to wait. God's promise is over and over in these verses, I will make, I will give, I will do this in your life. And so Abram's Command here 
is that when God calls him to wait, it's to actually wait. Sometimes in our spiritual life, where we say, God, I need something to happen soon. There is nothing for us to do but wait and to keep waiting. That the God who would promise to never leave us or forsake us means good to us while we wait. That there is something that God wants to do in us while we wait. That God wants to do something in Abram while he waits. I believe it's 25 years from Abram's initial calling to the birth of the son of the promise. And he goes from a 75-year-old man with a wife beyond childbearing age to a 100-year-old man with a wife who certainly should not be having a baby at this point. And so God uses that waiting in Abram's life. And in the same way, when God calls us to wait, there is a spiritual discipline of just waiting. But not just waiting, but trusting that the God who would call us to wait means to do something in us while we wait like he did in Abram's life. That's the kind of thing that we see constantly around us. I learned recently that that in a seed, no matter whether it's a seed from this year or a seed from 10 years ago, or even a 2,000-year-old seed, which they've been trying to regrow and have been able to regrow seeds that are ancient, ancient seeds, that no matter how old a seed is and no matter how dead and dormant they are, there are actually processes going on in the seed, changing the seed even in dormancy whether it's in winter or whether it's in storage, whether it's a year old or 2,000 years old, there are things that happen in seeds. And sometimes in those seeds, it needs winter before it can grow. Sometimes the seed needs to be burned in a forest fire before it can grow. Sometimes it needs moisture and wind and rain, and it needs all of those things until it's finally ready to sprout and grow. And so it is with us that when God calls Abram to wait, God intends him to wait because God is doing something in him before God does something through him. It's what we see in Moses who took 40 years in the wilderness before he was ready to lead God's people. It's what we see in David who took years and years and years serving his enemy and on the run from his father-in-law before God had him ready to become the king that he was supposed to be. We even see it in Jesus, who took 30 years before his public ministry was started. And so when God calls us to wait, here in Abram's life, we learn to actually wait and say, God, in the sleepless nights, you intend good in this. God, in the days that are hard to where I'm wondering what do you intend for me in this season? Do I go this way or do I go that way? When the caring for a baby, the caring for a grandchild, the caring for a parent, the caring for a sibling, when those days are so long, Abram teaches us to wait in those places. The third step, while we wait on God's purpose, is to worship. The one command that Abram had here is to walk. But what we see at the beginning of this story, and then we see it again at the end of the story, is the pattern of Abram's life. It says in verse 
verse 4. That Abram has gone back where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. And then again at the end of verse 18. There he built an altar to the Lord. The one command that Abram had was to walk. He had the promise of God to hold him up. And in the meantime, wherever he went, Abram worshipped. He built altars and he called on God. Teaching us that the life of faith is a life of worship. This is what God has called us to do in the middle of our waiting and saying, God, are you there? What do you intend? Can you show me which way to go? The life is a life of God. I, want, I love you and I want to love you more. God, I, I want to see you. I want to honor you. I want to love you the way that you deserve to be loved. I don't, in this sense of worshiping while waiting, it's not simply a matter of singing songs, although it can be that, but it is hearts that love the Lord more and more and more. And so while we have difficulties at home, raising kids, loving spouses, being loved by others, caring for family, and we say, God, I am waiting on what you're doing, the step we learn here from Abram is that God has also called us to worship in that space and in that place. While we wait on a child who has wandered away from the Lord and has never come back, and we're like, God, when are you going to bring them back? The call in that is to live a life of worship while we wait on that prayer to be answered. While we ask for God's wisdom about, God, where do I retire and where do I live and where do I go and what do I do? God, make us like Abram who worshipped wherever he went and while he waited for 25 years until the sun came. I think that's, we know that that's the heart of the Bible because when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We see it and one of my favorite stories that expresses this is in Daniel chapter 3. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were threatened with being thrown in the fire if they wouldn't worship the king, they said, if God, they said, we believe that God will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship you. Because they understood that the heart of their relationship with God is a relationship of worship, and they can't worship anything else and keep worshiping God. And so they said, it doesn't matter what you do and how long we have to wait, or if we ever get rescued, or if we die a most painful death in a furnace, we're going to keep worshiping. So it may be you're like me, and in the waiting, the temptation is to constantly try to achieve, to do something to make a new strategy, to figure out a new thing to do. This is, and we begin to measure our life by our activity or by our accomplishments. These verses call us to say God's measure of us is not how much we do, not how much we accomplish. It's do we worship. So that the ambition of our hearts is not that we would be successful parents, but that we would be worshiping parents. Not that we would be perfect husbands or wives, but we would be worshiping husbands and wives. Not that, we would be, not that I would be a successful, accomplished preacher, but a worshiping preacher who, regardless of what the days hold, I love the Lord more. 
So you and I, in the middle of our waiting, have something that we can do. We get to worship. Worship in our cars, worship on the tractor, worship in the barn, worship at home in the middle of the night rocking a baby, worship while we care for a loved one who needs care. We get to work at, worship at work. We get to worship at our play. In each of those places, we get to say, God, I love you more. And maybe it's in a hospital room where we say, God, teach me to worship in here too. I think ultimately the, the, the call to you and I in each of these is, though no one worship with me, I am going to. Even in, when Abram's like, okay, God, you've taken Lot. Now it's just me and Sarah but we're going to worship anyway. We're going to worship on our own for 25 years because we believe you are worth it. That is the call in this, this, this story in Abram's life is can we begin to worship while we wait for God's wisdom and God's purpose? Can we worship while we wait even if it takes 25, 30, 40, or 60 years? This is God's call, is can you look at me and trust me enough to walk and to worship? This is God's standard in his call to us. If this is his uh, promise, is to bless Abram and to bless the whole world through Abram, how do we know God's not going to change his mind about us? How do we know God, how do we know God is going to be happy with us if we struggle to worship while we wait? Romans tells us that Abram's righteousness, Abraham's righteousness, did not come from what he did for God, but simply from believing God. And so it is with us. Righteousness and blessing have always been the gift of God. It only comes to those who believe. Believing in Jesus is the gateway. This is the standard that God has for us. And if you are in Christ, then you have his record as the perfectly obedient man. If you are in Christ, you have Jesus' identity as the perfect son of God. And if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit to empower you. You are called to worship from Jesus' record, not for Jesus' record. You are called to worship from Jesus' perfect identity of a beloved son. And you're called to wait in his power, not your own. So this passage becomes good news for us when we become, like Abram, not perfect worshipers, but those who believe in the promise of God for all who trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you say, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to trust in Jesus? You say, Joe, you don't know where I've been or what I've done. You don't know how I've pretended. You don't know the guilt that weighs down my heart. In truth, I don't know the guilt that weighs down your heart, but I know that the Bible tells us that though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow if you repent of sin and trust in Jesus alone to save you. If that's you and you go, I, I need to know that I am in Christ. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to become changed so that I can worship God and love Him. Come and grab me at the end of the service. Come and grab me. and let, You can grab me here. You can grab me in the hallway. Let me know because I want to help you begin to be clear about what it means to repent of sin and trust in Jesus to save you. So this passage calls us to worship while we wait for God's purpose. With Abram, walking through life, trusting the promises of God and loving the God who gave those promises to us. I want you to imagine what changes for you this week when... Whatever that area of wisdom you need is, comes up. I want you to imagine what changes this week when you're not trusting your effort and your eyes and your plans. 
you can instead look at them and say, the God who promised is faithful. Imagine what changes this week when those worries come in, but your heart has been settled on worshiping God. That's the strategy. You know, this worry tells me, oh, you can fix it. But God tells me, walk with me. Worship me in the middle of this and let me fulfill my purpose in you and for your life. Imagine what changes when in our church, when we need wisdom, but the marker is not for us, is not how hard can we work and how good of a strategy can we have, but who do we worship? Let's worship him more. Imagine what changes in our church. Imagine what changes in our homes. Imagine what changes in us. Let's pray. God, as we, all of us have areas that we're waiting. All of us have areas that we need wisdom. I thank you for Abram, who teaches us and calls to us and says, look at my faithful God, worship him with me while you wait. Thank you for Abram, who calls to us and says, it's worth it. Keep going. In Jesus' name, amen.